Amen. What comes into your mind when you think of God? <laughs> what comes into your mind when you think of Jesus? And how are those two things different? Okay, I genuinely want you to ponder these. You're a bit shocked that I came right out of the gates with a question. Um, but I'm going to ask those three questions again. What comes into your mind when you think of God? What comes into your mind when you think of Jesus? And how are they different? Okay, hold that thought. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Kieran. Um, I am an assistant pastor here at Coast for about... 56 more days. <laughs> um, it's great to meet you if I haven't met you before. Hi to everyone down the back. Hey, yeah, it feels so far away, but glad to be in the same room. Um, last week, if you were here, we kicked off a new series that's, that's called A Guide to Knowing God. Um, and Matt, who was up here just before, he, he started the series by looking at a bunch of different misconceptions that we can encounter about God that can be unhelpful for getting to know the real God. Um, if you missed it, if you weren't here, have a listen on our website. You can go to coast.org.nz or on your favorite podcast app, listen to it there. I highly recommend it. It's worth having a listen to it. And towards the end of the message, um, Matt said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think he was quoting someone else, but Matt said it last week, and so I'm just going to quote him saying that last week. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's important because it shapes our lives. It, it shapes the way that we see the world, and it shapes our spiritual future. Um, and can I just say that um, if, you're, if you're new to faith or if you're not really sure what comes into mind when you think about God, that that's totally fine. And um, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, you're really welcome. And my hope and my prayer is that this morning would be helpful for you and, and for all of us. So the question is, if what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us, the question is, what is God really like? How can we as humans, as normal, everyday people, know what God is like? And today, we're going to look at God's ultimate answer to this question. And it's an answer that he didn't give in the form of a set of doctrine. He didn't give it as a Wikipedia page, unfortunately. He didn't, he didn't even give it as the Bible itself, although he speaks to us through that. God's answer came to us in a person, Jesus. And as we'll see today, God's nature, his, his character, his essence, his fullness was revealed to us in Jesus. Does that sound okay? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's pray before we continue on. God, I thank you that you want to know us. I thank you that you seek us out. And I'm so grateful, God, for your son, Jesus. Uh, we come to you today wanting to know you more, Lord. Would you uh, speak through me? Would you, uh, Holy Spirit, just be on these words and uh, help us to, to grasp something more of you today. Help us to get a little bit closer, God. Help us to know you better, because we want that, Lord. We thank you for your love for us, and thank you for this community. Amen. 
Now, as, as most of you will know, hopefully, um, last November, um, I married my lovely wife, Rebecca. There she is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like we're still in the honeymoon phase, so I'm, I can be soppy. She's beautiful. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, I mean, there was lots about the wedding and that whole time that was so, so special. Um, but one of the great joys for me was that m- one of my cousins, one of my relatives from over near Nepal, was, uh, was able to come and join us for this wedding. Um, and <laughs> I was just thinking about it before. I was like, if you've heard me speak, usually I talk about Rebecca, Nepal, or my parents, and I'm going to go for all three today. Um, <laughs> so shout out to my mum and dad who are over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was a big deal for my cousin to come over for our wedding. Um, he had uh, never been on a plane before. He had never been to the Western world before. And when he came to New Zealand, it was his first time seeing the ocean. Um, and he's like in his late 30s-ish. Um, so this was a big deal. And to get to New Zealand, he had to go on a, probably about a six-hour drive through the windy hills of the, you know, the Himalayan foothills. Um, he had to get to an airport where he could fly a couple of hours to the nearest international airport, go through Singapore, and then come to New Zealand, which is a, it's a lot to take on for someone who hasn't done international travel before, and he was doing it solo. Um, and the reason that this was so special uh, for me was that growing up as a kid, we didn't really have contact with uh, my Nepali side of the family at all. Um, this is on my dad's side. Um, we kind of knew they were there somewhere, <laughs> and we'd heard stories uh, about them, and we'd seen some photos of what they looked like, um, but we didn't really know them. And, and it wasn't until later on that we, you know, as t- technology got better, you know, we could have some phone calls, or we could um, see some more things on Facebook. So we kind of knew we had this family over there, but didn't really know what they were like. Um, and... So for me, at, at our wedding, it was so significant that my cousin Kagen could be there um, to join us. And uh, as, a representa- as a representative of that whole part of my story, you know, as, as uh, growing up, we'd known them only, only in idea, only in story. Um, but there's something so different to being physically present somewhere, right? And when he came into our world, came to New Zealand, and came to celebrate with us, we got to share meals together, we got to share adventures, we got to share that celebration of that day. And you know what? I think it changed the connection that we have with that family forever. We had to get up close and experience that firsthand, in-person kind of connection. You know, before Jesus' arrival on earth, uh, in the Old Testament, if you, if you read that, it's the first part of the Bible, the, the people of God only really knew him from a distance. Um, they knew him to be all-powerful, and they knew that he was invested in their future somehow, but there were all these rules and constraints around how they could approach him. Usually it was through a priest at a temple or, you know, someone, some great spiritual leader having a mountaintop experience. Or, you know, someone who would have to go through all these different processes and get it just right. Or or speaking to a prophet. For the everyday person, approaching God was just not something they would even dream of. And that is why it's so revolutionary when Jesus lived on earth as a human being 
and he claimed to be the Son of God. And he said, I and the Father are one. And this was so offensive to the people at the time that they wanted to kill him for it because he was putting himself on equal footing with God. And they had to decide, is this guy entirely crazy? Is he, or is he partially crazy? Or somehow, someway, is he telling the truth? One of the, the most illuminating conversations I think we find um, in the Bible happened at the, the supper table the night before Jesus was executed. And he was talking with the disciples um, who were his closest followers and his friends. Um, in response to a question that I asked him, he said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Jesus was really spelling it out for them. You know, time was running out. He was saying, I and the Father are one. And one of the disciples, Philip, he decided to pipe up, and he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And he thought, maybe there's more of God to experience behind Jesus. Maybe there's something behind the scenes that I'm missing out on. I want to see more proof. I want to see more of God. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? (laughs) And I can just imagine being Philip then and kind of sinking in your seat a little bit like, oh, that wasn't the right question to ask. (laughs) I've been that guy many a time. And this is what Jesus went on to say. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And over the next few days and weeks, um, they probably recounted together some of the things that Jesus had said. Um, Time and time again, it probably became quite clear to them. He said things like this, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever whatever the father does, the son also does. And he said, I and the Father are one. See, what was happening here was that in Jesus, God himself had entered our world. He came near and up close so that we could experience him firsthand and have this real face-to-face encounter with him as a human. Kind of like, you know, a cousin coming over from all the way from Nepal. We got to have that face-to-face and share that experience. So this is what I want to say to you this morning. If you want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And look, I know that there's actually some pretty confusing stuff going on here because we have to somehow wrestle with this mystery that, God, uh, that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And Jacinda spoke on this a few weeks ago. Again, have a, go back and have a listen on the website. But Jesus is God fully revealed to us. Um, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he, he got this. And he, this is the way that he put it in this really profound way in his letter to the Colossians, um, which you'll find in your New Testaments. This is in Colossians 1. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's worth repeating. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And later on in 
verse 19, he says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. See, in Jesus we see the fullness of God, not just, not just part of him. There's, there's not a behind the scenes. In, G, in Jesus we see the fullness of God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Uh, a Canadian author and theologian that I um, got to listen to at a few lectures, uh, his name's Brad Jerzak, he put it this way, Jesus is everything that God has to say about what it is to be God and what it is to be human. So I have to throw in a little bit of a side note here, um, and this can get a little bit confusing, but when we talk about God, um, we understand God to be one God and three persons. And so you'll hear us talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Christian thinkers and Christian uh, leaders have referred to this as the Trinity. And um, <laughs> it is a deep, deep mystery. So um, if, if anyone tries to simplify it and say, oh, it's, you should just understand it, then you, you should treat them with some caution. But what we do know is that God is one being, but in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they interact. They're all fully God, but they're all fully able to interact with one another. So what does this mean for us if we want to know what God is like? It means that we can see God's nature and his character perfectly represented in Jesus. It means, if we wanted to put it simply, that God is like Jesus and Jesus is like God. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is a great place to start. He's a big deal. And, and let me say this as well. If, if what comes to mind when we think of God and if what comes to mind when we think of Jesus are different in nature or character, then it probably needs some tweaking. And if we think one is friendly and one is angry, or if we think that one is for us and one is against us, then we probably need to update our picture of what God is really like. So we're going to look today just at a couple of ways um, that Jesus' life and his character um, reveal who God is. Um, so we, we'll only look at a couple, um, but these are big, important things. We're doing okay? It's so different in here. I feel so far away from you. It's nice to have a little bit of like heckling from the front here. No, 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 good, good response. Um, but feel free to, to yell out as we go. Um, all right. God is self-sacrificial love. God is self-sacrificial love. Um, next weekend, we have uh, this moment where Christians all around the world are going to take time to pause and remember Jesus' death and his resurrection um, and celebrate that in lots of different ways. We'll be sending off our youth um, at, off to Easter camp um, with Rebecca. <laughs> um, all the best. Um, and <laughs> and our uh, intermediate aged um, years, seven to nine, I think, to E-camp. And we're going to be holding our special events, the Good Friday Reflection Time um, in the afternoon and on Sunday, a special service. You know, for, for Easter, the date itself is kind of arbitrary. It actually used to be a, a festival that Christians have since reclaimed and poured our own meaning into, which isn't the first or last time that has happened. But um, it can be said that Easter is the most important date in our calendar because 
Jesus' death and his coming back to life changed everything for us. See, the cross revealed God's character. It revealed his strategy for overcoming evil. It's self-sacrificing love that defeats evil. Jesus shows us that God is love, self-sacrificial love. You know, in some ways, Jesus was a little bit underwhelming for the people of the time. Um, Through the way that they'd interpreted scripture, they were kind of expecting this hero of a Messiah or a savior to come in. They were like, they wanted a guy on a Harley Davidson with a bazooka to come and destroy their their enemies, the people who had oppressed them. Um, That's a paraphrasing a little bit. They they wanted this like brilliant display of power to overthrow their enemies. And instead, they got a guy who rode into town on a donkey and was tortured and murdered at the hands of the powers he was supposed to overthrow. Ultimately, he did triumph. Ultimately, he did display his power. But it, it wasn't through violence or coercion, it wasn't through control or dominance. It was through self-sacrificial love. It was through laying down his life for, for him to beat death. If we pick up from that passage where we were before, Colossians uh, 1, 19 to 20, goes on. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You know, this is why people sometimes describe God's kingdom as an upside-down kingdom. It's because he didn't choose to overthrow power with just by chucking more power on top of it and coming and wiping everything out. He came in humility to undermine the evil powers of the world. Jesus died to beat death. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He died so that we could come to know God. I kind of think of it sometimes like uh, a judo move. I don't do judo. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna do a little move, but that would have been embarrassing. Um, but where they use an opponent's momentum to throw them or to defeat them, and this is kind of like what Jesus did: is like took death and evil and sin to its natural conclusion, took it to the grave, so that we wouldn't have to experience it. Jesus shows us that God is self-sacrificial love. And this is the key thing, that this isn't a blip or a diversion from God's character. This isn't like uh, like Jesus came to change the Father's heart. It wasn't like Jesus came to, to do something different that was so far from God's character. He came to reveal what God is like. He is God's exact representation. And so we see that God in his name, nature is self-sacrificial love. He came to reveal the Father. And we see that he was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to lay down his his power and his privilege to become nothing to serve us. So what is God like? He is like self-sacrificial love. And when we show this kind of love to other people, we are actually reflecting God's image in the world. And what you find is that Time and time again, in Scripture you see it, and in our lives you see it, that this love breaks the cycle of evil. This love leads to freedom. And I want to share with you just a little story from the history of our land, actually. And um, it's, 
it's from uh, the, the 1830s, believe it or not. And in New Zealand, this is a true story. Um, there was a 12-year-old girl called Tarore, and she uh, was the daughter of a Maori chief who lived in the Waikato. And she had been given a copy of the Gospel of Luke um, in her native language, which was Te Reo Maori. And she, this was like a prized possession for her. She kept it in a kete, a woven bag around her neck. She valued it so much. Um, and one night when uh, her and a group of people from her uh, tribe were camping just uh, in the Kaimai Ranges, there was another raiding party from another tribe that came across the group um, to attack them and take whatever they could. And um, in all the action and all the skirmish that happened, um, Tarore was actually killed in her sleep. Um, by a blow to the head. And her attacker took this bag from around her neck, um, thinking, you know, there's something valuable inside. And her death uh, in, amongst her people created this really strong desire for revenge. Um, and there's this, there's this word called utu, which is like, uh, it's actually quite a complicated uh, cultural concept, but basically it means like restoring balance. That if uh, a, a killing had happened that a revenge killing was sanctioned. That was actually okay to restore the balance. And so the people wanted revenge. said, let's, let's strike back. But Tarore's father, he, at her funeral, preached against any kind of violent reprisal. Um, he called his people to trust in God and trust in God's justice. And he said, there's been too much bloodshed already that striking out in revenge won't achieve anything. It will actually just encourage those cycles. And so they laid down this right or this uh, norm of revenge, and they laid it down, and no violent action was taken to, to avenge her death. Meanwhile, at the raiding party's camp, um, they, no one there could read, and so this book was just lying there until a visiting slave came along who could read and, and read this book, the Gospel of Luke, out loud in Māori. And the, the, the killer, the attacker who had killed Tarore, was so convicted by the message that he heard that he felt, I, I need to go to Tarore's father and ask for forgiveness. He was so convicted in his heart that in humility he was like, I need to go back and ask forgiveness. And this was really dangerous. He could have, he could have been killed really easily by going back there. Um, and instead, as the, these two men approached each other, um, witnesses said that they approached each other, they embraced, and just tears were flowing down their cheeks. And a, a church was actually built to honor the reconciliation that had happened, the, this new message of peace and hope between the tribes. And with time, Tarore's book, This Gospel of Luke, actually traveled all over the country and was was used to spread the gospel through New Zealand, and, and it was sparked this massive movement of God in our country. And this is a true story. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's, it's a story that we should know really well and be telling, but for some reason we don't. Um, and, you, you know, you can actually visit her grave today, um, and it has a white cross on it. I think I've got a picture here um, that references the death that brought peace to the tribes, which speaks of Tarore's death, and speaks even more of Jesus' death. You know, this is, this is actually part of the spiritual foundation of our country, which is amazing. 
And uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but when we sing um, in Te Reo, like we did this morning, um, I, I, I know that we're connecting to something much bigger that God's been doing in our country for a long, long time. It's, it's really powerful. But this, this is just an example of how God's self-sacrificial love can break cycles of evil. This is, this is a visual demonstration of that. And in lots of different ways, we can reflect God's nature when we, when we do the same, when we step out to show love. Okay, let's keep moving. Jesus shows us that God pursues us. Jesus shows us that God pursues us. How many of you were at Summer Escape we, a couple of weeks ago? A few of you? Okay, cool. Um, this Summer Escape was our, our family camp, I guess you could call it. We went away up to Marsden Bay, um, and I was, um, I was partially in charge of putting on some, some activities throughout the weekend, and we were doing this uh, uh, Olympics that actually Susie had organized, which is awesome. Um, and partway through that, um, I saw Annalise Phipps. Uh, is she here? Oh, she's in crazy sweet. I can say whatever I want. Um, and she, she was looking quite distressed, and she said, we can't find Lucy. And Lucy is their um, one-and-a-half-year-old, and she said, we can't find Lucy. And um, I, I saw her looking quite distressed, and her and Jono um, were racing around the camp trying to find her. Um, and I... I thought that it probably wasn't the time to tell her that there are actually points in the competition on offer that they would be sacrificing by not doing the... It <laughs> wasn't the right time. It didn't feel like the right time. Um, but, but it was really interesting to watch them because they were just... They mobilized a whole bunch of people. And before you knew it, there were whole teams searching for Lucy all over the camp. I went to go tell people, hey, can you help us find Lucy? And they already knew. They were all like, Lucy, Lucy, where are you? Um, it was amazing. I just saw this, like, this switch flick in them as they went looking for Lucy. Um, as it turned out, Lucy was playing quite happily in one of the cabins. <laughs> she was having quite a good time, didn't know the, the chaos she had caused. Um, but they, we were able to track Lucy down, which was awesome. Um, and then the teams later asked me as the judge, oh, can we get some bonus points? Um, you know, because we were looking for Lucy. I was like, and I was quite a strict judge. I was like, I don't want to set a precedent with the other toddlers, you know. Like, anyway, um, <laughs> so, so no bonus points rewarded. <laughs> I enjoyed that way too much. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus gave us some really similar pictures of what God is like when he pursues us, when he's looking for his children who have wandered away. He gave us this picture of a shepherd who loses one of his sheep um, when he leaves the 99 that he had in open country, and he goes looking for the sheep until he's found it, this one that's wandered away. He gives the picture of a woman turning her house upside down to find this lost, valuable coin, um, which she can't find. She looks until she finds it. In my case, that would be for my keys. I lose them all the time, but I relate to that one really strongly. And also gave this picture of a father who runs urgently after his son, when he sees him in the distance, um, coming back from taking his inheritance and running away. And, and in all these stories, God, we see this picture of God in relentless pursuit of his children who have wandered away. You know, one of the songs that we sing here sometimes is Reckless Love by Corey Asbury, and the chorus goes, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. 
And that's, those stories are what that song references. And in Jesus, we see that God pursues us in love, no matter how far we are from him. In Matt's message last week, uh, he spoke about the misconception that we can ever uh, do enough bad stuff to, to create a permanent barrier between us and God. He said that's a misconception. See, Jesus came to shatter those barriers, he, to take them to the grave. And in his search for us, he's not afraid to enter the messiness in our world. He's not afraid to enter the chaos in our lives or the bad decisions we've made to rescue us out of them. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And his love for us is never ending. This is good news. This is good news. So let me put it another way. If you think that you've done too many bad things in your life to know God, I'm going to break it to you. I'm sorry you haven't done enough to escape the love of God. And if you think that you haven't done enough good stuff to know God, then I'm going to break it to you. It was never about your good stuff. (laughs) It was about his. See, God initiated this whole thing. And this is what we read in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Now, I know from my experience and from talking to people that we often can approach God with this like deficit mentality, like we somehow have to kind of make it up to God a little bit before we can start really talking to him. Like, God, I'm so sorry it's been a while since I talked to you. Like, oh, God, I'm so sorry I've kind of been a bit too busy. And maybe, like, if I put on this song or if I kind of pray in this way that you, maybe you'll turn your face to me. Here's the thing. God's constantly pursuing us. He wants relationship with us. Now, I, I just want to clarify something. I'm not saying that we just sit back and hide and wait for God to come and find us. He's not playing games. He does want us to seek him out. And I'm not saying that uh, God doesn't care about how we live because he wants us to be free of the things that lead to death. But any step that we take towards God can only ever be in response to his love first. We can only respond because he has shown this to us before we even could love him. You know, one of the best demonstrations that I've found of this is called uh, the gospel in chairs. Um, and it sounds a little bit weird. Um, has anybody seen the gospel in chairs? Sweet. Um, so uh, it's something that I came across from that guy I mentioned earlier, Brad Jerzak, the uh, Canadian uh, author and theologian. Um, although I think it originally came from someone else. Um, I was going to go through it this morning. I don't think we're going to have time, but um, I've, got a, I've got a little clip here, which um, is actually not a clip. It's just a screenshot, but I wanted to do that to freak out the AV guys. But um, I highly recommend if you, um, if you have the time this week, go, go and have a, have a look at this. Um, it's, uh, it's a visual demonstration of the good news about Jesus, and it shows how throughout the Bible, throughout history, God doesn't turn his face away from humanity because of sin. Rather, he chooses by love to pursue us. And he, you can see it through the Bible. You can see it through Jesus' life and his death. So check that out if you have some time this week. So Jesus shows that God pursues us. 
If you feel like you've been running from God, or if you feel like you're, you're distant from Him and haven't been giving Him enough attention, or if you've been battling a destructive habit and you feel like you've been struggling lately, or if you've let anger take over your life, then you should know that God is pursuing you, and He, he wants to set you free. And He's eager, and all you need to do is to say yes. Because we can, we can run away, but God runs after us. And the thing is, he's kind of like an ultra-marathon runner. His mercy endures forever, and his loving kindness is everlasting. His mercy will never run out. I just want to uh, share one final thing uh, with you about what Jesus shows to us about what God is like. And it's this, that God wants us to experience him. You know, Jesus' call to his first disciples was really simple. It was just, come, follow me. And later when one of his disciples wanted to show what Jesus was like, he said, come and see. Jesus walking amongst us, living amongst us, eating with people who were considered sinners, sharing his life with them, he showed us that God wants us to experience him. He doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to know him for ourselves. Um, and I think that, you know, at the end of a message like this, this is a good point to end on because I could, I could try and list so many things about what Jesus was like and what he shows us about God. I haven't talked about God's plan for restoration or uh, how God heals or how God frees us. There's so many things that I could talk about. But, and we could stay here all day if you want. <laughs> no one looks that keen. But it wouldn't make a difference if we didn't come to know God for ourselves. And that's what God really yearns for. He wants to know each and every one of us. And in this, Jesus himself said that he has sent his spirit. He's sent another advocate, another one like him, to be with us. And we can know God through the spirit that is available to each of us and who lives with us, lives in us. Um, my cousin from Nepal, Kagen, when he came here, and we took him to Oreoa Beach, which is that way? That way? It's here somewhere. Um, we took him there, and you should have seen his face. If you, wanted, if you ever want to appreciate what a beautiful country we live in, just Stand next to someone who's there visiting. Honestly, he was just like, this is amazing. And we're standing on the beach. He's, ta he's taking so many photos. We're like, just stop it, bro. It's still here. Um, um, but uh, he said, um, when he saw the water, um, can I touch it? And, you know, thinking like, maybe do you need a license? Or <laughs> um, what's the rules around it? What's, what's taboo and what's okay? And, um, you know, something in you is like, wow, you, this, this whole uh, beautiful aspect of creation is so foreign to you that you don't even know that it's freely available to you to engage with. And, and, you know, sometimes we can be like that with God. It's like he's right there. There's an ocean of his love. And we're like, oh, can I, can I experience that? Can I touch you, God? And he's wanting to give us a huge hug, <laughs> you know? So... I think this is where we should come into land, that God wants us to experience him, that he is far greater, far bigger. His love is, for us is far bigger than we can understand, and he is eager to share his life with us. 
As we continue this series, um, I really hope that you can be here for more of it because we're going to unpack what, what knowing God looks like, um, how these things and more um, can change our lives and actually lead to a much richer life with God. But the, I want to end with this, that when we talk about you know, inviting Jesus into our lives, Really, the whole time, Jesus has been the one inviting us into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a life of faith, of hope, love, joy, and peace, and it's available for all of us today. Why don't we stand and I'll pray. God, I thank you for your great love for us, that you loved us first. Before we could even do anything, before we could even try and earn our way to you, God, you loved us. And thank you that you see us deeply and you love us all the same. And Jesus, we are so grateful that you chose to come and reveal the Father to us, that you chose to come and lay down your life, that you pursue us, Lord, and that you want us to experience you. Thank you, God, for your generosity. And may, may we be people who, uh, who look like you, God. Would you transform us to be representations of you in this world, Lord? Thank you for your spirit that goes with us and that fills us, inspires us, encourages us, and stirs us on to do your good works, Lord. And I pray for all of us uh, that we would come to know you more, God, that we would know you not just in our mind, but in our whole being, God, that we would know what a life shared with you is like, transformed by you, God. Amen.